Welcome to Task Force X. Before we get started today, a little housekeeping I want to take care of. First of all, I apologize for the delay. I have been trying to get these out on the third Tuesday of the month. This one's a little late, uh, mainly due to a baby issues, trying to you know, record when the baby's not fussing and when I have some free time. I apologize. I will work better on getting these out on a more regular basis. My second bit of news, uh, the sound quality might not be as great as it has been recently because I'm using my regular mic today and not my son's. I'm working on getting me a better mic for my own use, uh, but it is what it is. I, again, I apologize for any sound issues. And for my last bit of news today, my regularly scheduled episode with a special guest star has been preempted this episode. It's being pushed back till uh, December. Uh, due to the passing of Murphy Anderson. This episode of Task Force X is part two of my Mur- Murphy Anderson tribute. Again, sorry for inconvenience to my listeners, and my deepest sympathies go out to the Anderson family for their loss. But enough of that, let's get on with today's show. Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. A proud member of the Headcast family, I am your host, Aaron Moss, otherwise known as Head. The Task Force X Headcast follows the adventures of DC Comics' Task Force X. Task Force X was made up of the Suicide Squad comic, which was created by John Ostender and Ryan Scott, which started in the late 1980s, and the sister comic, Checkmate, created by Paul Kupperberg and Steve Irwin. These were two sides of DC's espionage comics. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't... You'll be dead. Exactly. I will attempt to chronicle each title and all the books that the Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during this era. We're the U.S. government. Who's going to blow the whistle on us? The convicts? Who'd believe them? You? (laughs) You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, yeah, Amanda. A blog and a headcast. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. No, not at all, Amanda. I'm just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Punk. Alright, Amanda. Bang. Normally I'd play a commercial right about this time, a friend of the show's podcast or something, uh, but due to the, uh, we're going to call it the seriousness of today's episode, I'm going to skip all that. I may throw a couple promos at the end, but as I said at the beginning of the show, today we're here to celebrate the memory of a a great artist. Murphy Anderson passed away October the 22nd of 2015. Uh, If you check out my last episode of Head Speaks, which came out last week, it was episode 17, I do a character profile on Mr. Anderson, and I talk a little bit about his life and his work. Also on the Task Force X blog page, available at taskforcex.headspeaks.com, I will list further work of Mr. Anderson that you may want to check out. 
but again, this is going to be a shorter episode, I believe. So let's go ahead and cut through all the chit-chat and get straight to what I'm talking about. Today I'm going to review Showcase number 34, the first appearance of The Atom. Well, I say the first appearance of The Atom. It's the first appearance of Ray Palmer, The Atom, one of my favorite heroes. Last week over on Head Speaks, I talked about Showcase number 60, which showcased the Spectre with Murphy Anderson's inks and pencils. Uh, this week... I'm going to talk about the Atom. Uh, you may be saying, but he's not a Task Force X member, Brotherhead. Well, no, he's not yet, but stay tuned. A couple years down the road, you'll hear some more about the Atom. But anyways, I decided, you know what? Adam's one of my favorite characters. He has a tie-in with the Suicide Squad eventually, so we're going to go ahead and uh, showcase him this episode. So again, this was showcase number 34. Cover date is October and it was ten cents. But again, as I said, if you want to buy this off the newsstand, you're gonna to have to take that ten cents, and you're gonna to have to go back to July the 27th of 1961. And I'm sorry, the cover date on this was September October 1961, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. The writer on this was Gardner Fox, the penciler Gil Kane, and inker, well, Murphy Anderson. This was reprinted in several places. It was reprinted in uh, 80-page Giant number 8 in 1965, Secret Origins number 2, 1973, Secret Origins of the Super DC Heroes S softcover in 1976, DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 9 in 1991, More Secret Origins Replica Edition number 1 in 1999, The Atom Archives Volume 1 hardcover 2001, Showcase presents the Atom Volume 1 trade paperback in 2007. And then in the DC Universe, Secret Origins, both the hardcover and the trade paperback. The hardcover came out in 2012, and the paperback in 2013. And again, this is all relating to the first story in this. This had two stories in it. The first story was called The Birth of the Atom. It was a 10-page story. Uh, and the cover artist, almost forgot, was Gil Kane. And real quick, just give you some comments on this. Uh, this is the first appearance and origin of the Earth-1 Atom, a.k.a. Ray Palmer. The history of the Earth-2 counterpart, Al Pratt, is recapped in the text feature in this issue. And the Atom does not appear in costume in this story, nor does he use the name The Atom. In a synopsis, while using a white dwarf star fragment, physicist Ray Palmer has developed a lens which will shrink inanimate objects when ultraviolet light is sent through the lens. However, Ray has been able to perfect the process because the shrunken object always explodes within minutes. Visiting an underground cavern on a nature hike with his girlfriend, Jean Loring, in a nature club, Ray becomes trapped inside with the group during a cave-in. Exploring the cave, Ray locates only one tiny opening. He uses the sunlight, beamed through the lens, to shrink himself to tiny size. Then, using the diamond from his ring, enlarges the opening until people can safely pass through. Worried that he might explode, Ray hurries back with the, to the lens and enlarges himself back to normal. He is surprised that he did not explode and hypothesizes the cave water may have altered the property of the lens. When he returns to his lab, objects still explode when shrunk. leaving Ray to conclude that his own body possesses a mysterious force, enabling him to survive the shrinking process. And now for my thoughts and comments on this first story. Let's go ahead and start the cover, because the cover's the cover's a good place to start. 
it starts outside the very top. Introducing the world's smallest superhero, Showcase presents the Atom. And we see the Atom in full costume. And he's got like a look like a genie or something in a bottle that he's popping the cat back on. Uh, this is from the second story. Uh, it says, featuring Battle of the Tiny Titans. or some vegetation in the background. Uh, overall, this is a great cover. It's an action cover. We see the Atom. It looks like he's just left on this bottle and he's using his fist to pound a cork into it. Inside, we've got a small man pushing up on the cork, trying to push his way out. And he's got a look of surprise and, and uh, concern on his face. Again, Gil Kane, and uh, he, he's labeled as the artist for the cover, so I don't know if Murphy Anderson had much to do with the cover. But this is a great cover. Uh, I've seen this for years. Uh, not much I can say that I, I love this cover. It's just great. It, like I said, it tells us what the... The second story, we don't really get much of the first story on this cover, but again, it shows the Adam in full costume. It shows him battling somebody, basically. Again, I haven't read this story in years, so I'm not sure if this is giving away the ending. It might. Uh, but we'll find out, yes, when I get to the second story. But enough of that one. Let's go on to the first page here. Uh, I will, again, just the nature of the thing, I will talk about the uh, story some also. But I'm going to try to focus on the artwork as that is what Mr. Anderson did, and that's who we're here to celebrate this month. It's the birth of the Adam. we got some text on the side uh, from the strange combination of white dwarf star and sunlight, product of the awesome forces of nature, at her mightiest, steps a tiny titan into the world of giants. The Atom. And so forth. Gives us the title, Birth of the Atom. Story by Gardner Fox. Great writer. Art by Gil Kane and Murphy Anderson. Legends in their time. And this page shows the Barry, or Ray Palmer with surrounded by like a nucleus with a, looks like planets, but it's probably like uh, atoms and nuclei and what have you surrounding him. It's a really nice page. I like this. He's got his head looking up like, you know, almost like in a praying stance, if you will. Hands outstretched like he's waiting. Actually, that's what it reminds me of. It's like he's waiting for aliens to beam him up. <laughs> it's a really nice page. But with art by Gil Kane and Murphy Anderson, what do you expect? Then we go to the next page, and we start with Ray working on his shrinking experiment. And we see him shrinking a chair down. But he mentions that as soon as it shrinks down, he's like, uh, so far so good, I'll turn off the ultraviolet lamp. Now I'll see if the experiment blows up again. In the next page we see it, the chair's exploding in his face. So it's something he's been aware of, and he knows that things explode when he shrinks it down. But again, I'm here to talk about the artwork, especially the inking. Gil Kane, as far as I'm concerned, he's he's a good inker. Or I'm sorry, he's a good penciler. Um, I don't know if it's his inker sometimes, or if it's just sometimes the way he draws it. Some of the stuff's not fantastic. This, I'm really enjoying what he's drawing, and again, I don't know if it's Murphy Anderson's inks are helping it. Uh, it's certainly not harming it any, because Murphy Anderson is an inker. He knows how to ink. It helps he knows how to draw also, so... To take from Chase and Amy, he's not just a tracer. <laughs> that man can pencil, ink... <sighs> it is sad that we've lost Murphy Anderson, because he, he knew how to draw a page, and ink a page. But yeah, anyway, so we got Ray, we see you know his face, he's covering his face as the chair explodes... It's just a really nicely drawn page. And then we go back to a flashback, and again, we got the... the, uh, the these panels are... have like the... Uh, 
puffy edges around it to signify that it's a flashback. One is him finding the white dwarf matter that he takes back to his lab and experiments, shrinking things. And again, the next couple of pages is, like I say, his flashback, showing how he found it, and then talking with his girlfriend, Jean Loring. And again, this is just, it's, it's great. I mean, not much I really say about the artwork on this page that I haven't already said. This is really great. Like I said, this page on, this one panel on page three, Ray's lifting up the uh, white dwarf matter. And like I say, it's about the size of a, well, it's smaller than a bowling ball. It's about half the size of a bowling ball, maybe. But he, he's straining, you can tell he's straining to lift it, just not from what he's saying. But that helps also. But just the way it's drawn, the expression on his face, and the way he's. The way that Murphy and uh, Gil Kane showed him trying to struggle to carry this back to his car, you can tell that it's supposed to be heavy even without, even without looking at the word bubbles. And that's how you know you have a good artist, uh, both penciler and inker, when they can convey the story across without the words. In fact, if you read through this, you don't even really need the words. The words definitely help. It's a great written story, especially for the time, but... Reading through here, you know, his girlfriend comes in, or some woman comes in. You tell her they're romantically linked, but she's touching them. Again, I'm doing all this without trying to read the word bubbles. She's looking at his experiment. Then we see uh, Ray and Jean with a bunch of kids. They're going to a cave. <sighs> Again, this is a really great, greatly drawn story. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, I got confused for half a second there because one page he has a, or one panel he has a hat on, and the next he has, I thought maybe it was a mistake, but I see it got blown off by the cave in. Again, so I'm just glancing through this issue, and like I say, you can pretty much tell the story without the uh, word bubbles. I mean, the word bubble, again, it helps, gives you a little more detail, a little more exact wording, but. That's how you know you have a great art team when you can just look through the book and not, not read the words and you still can basically tell what's going on. I mean, you don't get all this. Uh, there's one panel here where he's talking about slag mites and slag tights and the difference between them. You can't get that really from the art. But you do see the slag mites and slag tights, and, but you just don't get all the detail he's talking about. But again, that's just the details. As far as the main story, you can tell. Like I said just looking through here, you can you can see what's going on, and that that's a great art team. Um, I could wax their car all day long, as Shag and Rob says, but over at the uh, Fire and Water podcast. But there's not much more to say about this than this is some great art here on page seven. We see the uh, Ray shrinking down. For the first time himself, he sets his, uh, his little device up to shrink himself down. And we got the, the atom symbol, as I refer to it, around him. As he shrinks down and grabs a diamond ring that he uses to dig himself out with. Again, he uses the diamond ring because it's so sharp and so hard that it cuts through rocks. And he's so small he can use like a digging tool. And as he thinks he's going to explode... He's surprised. Again, you can see from the look on his face, 
that he's surprised he hasn't exploded when he grew back to regular size. And we see he's looking at the mirror, and there looks like there's some water or liquid or something on it. And again, reading the actual dialogue, it tells us that there's water that's dripped from the rock ceiling. But just looking at the picture, you see he's looking at the water, so maybe he's got something to do with it. He comes, tells everyone, let's go back. Starts lifting the kids out. And then he sees back in his lab, and again, something's still exploding. So we can tell that we can assume from the water... Again, I'm not reading the pit captions at this point. I'm just kind of looking at the pictures because they're just beautiful pictures to look at. Uh, he's still got something exploding. So he's recording to his uh, his cassette player, whatever, his uh, recording equipment. And again, you don't always say, but you can tell he's recording his notes. Then we get a close-up of his face. And this, one's, this last panel says, Now that I am able to turn myself into a human atom, who knows what strange and wonderful things may happen. The end. And again, this is a ten-page little story, the introduction to the atom without introducing the atom. This is just introduces the, the costume, not the costume, but the, uh, his powers and who he is and his background and his origin without the costume. So it's a really great story. And again, I'm, I'm a big fan of if you got a hero, show him in his costume. Let's not spend... That's why TV shows, let's not spend... 20 episodes getting him to do a costume or all this first season or having said that Daredevil took like 12 episodes most of the first season to get him in his costume on the Daredevil uh, Netflix series and that was a great show but that's this isn't a Daredevil podcast that's J. David Weeder's got a uh, Daredevil podcast uh, definitely check that out but let's not talk about David and his Daredevil take the dare podcast let's go ahead and finish up with this one um Again, not much more I can say about this this first story other than thank you, Gil Kane and Murphy Anderson, for giving us such a great comic and the origin of one of my favorite characters. Getting greatly drawn. That's how you can tell that this is a good, good team because they're able to go through and give us the entire story without the captions, without the word bubbles. Uh, but we do have the wonderful writing to go along with it. So I definitely recommend... At least this first story in showcase number 34, uh, the introduction to the atom. And then as we go through a couple pages of ads here, we come to the next story. And our next story, again, borrowing from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. I like Mike. Uh, well, I don't know Mike, but I like his, you know, his page here. Um, again, everything as far as when it came out, all that's the same because it's the same book. The title of this story is called Battle of the Tiny Titans. This looks like it's a 15-page story. Again, written by Gardner Fox, penciled by Gil Kane, and inked by the magnificent Murphy Anderson. This story wasn't reprinted as much, but it was reprinted several times. The 100-page Super Spectacular DC-14 in 1973. DC Comics Blue Ribbon Digest number 9 in 1981. The Atom Archives, Volume 1, Hardcover, in 2011. And Showcase Presents The Atom, Volume 1, Trade Paperback, in 2007. And, uh, again, the comments on this story from Mike's Amazing World of Comics is, Ray's first designs and uses his costume in this story. He also makes the first official appearance as The Atom. 
And this issue also contained a two-page text feature, which I'm not going to cover because I'm only interested in the art for my sake of this show today. Uh, but the two-page text feature called Inside the Atom, recapping the history of the first Atom, Al Pratt. It also described the Atom's ability to travel through phone lines. And just a real quick side brief veer off for a second. Uh, I mentioned the uh, history of the first Adam Al Pratt. Uh, my buddy Ryan Daly, he's got his own podca- podcast called The Secret Origins Podcast. Coming up soon, this next week or so, he's covering Secret Origins of the Legion of Superheroes and The Atom, which is the Al Pratt one at the time. So definitely check out Ryan's Secret Origins Podcast. It's a great show. And from a Task Force X perspective, I've been on there once before when they covered the Suicide Squad in issue 14. And I have been talking with them about coming back on for Nightshade and possibly Dr. Light in the future. So definitely check out Ryan's Secret Origins podcast. But again, enough about Ryan and his podcast. Let's get back to mine. Uh, The synopsis for this story, again, I'm drawn from Mike's page here. A tiny genie appears in a bank and steals money before disappearing. Bank teller Alma Wilson is accused of the crime, prompting her to ask her friend Jean Loring to be her attorney. Jean's boyfriend, Ray Palmer, who has just finished designing a costume which appears only when he shrinks to tiny size as the Atom, encounters the genie in his lab. After a short scuffle, the genie explains that he is an alien, Kulanda, who is trapped on Earth. He is being controlled by a small-time criminal because he needs the element Europhium to return home. After Kulandar disappears, Adam tracks down the crook, Carl Ballard. Ballard commands the alien to defend him, forcing the tiny titans to battle each other. Adam defeats Kulandar long enough to gain possession of the Dominator device Ballard used to gain control. Kulan then confesses his crime in court, which frees Alma and leads to Ballard's arrest. So that's the synopsis. So let's go ahead and jump into my thoughts on the story and, again, mainly the beautiful arts. Uh, so our, our title page, if you will, starts out with a phone laying with on the side. The, the uh, God, it's been as long as I've used an actual rotary phone. The handset, that's what it's called. The handset lay on the side. And then we got the Adam in his costume fighting this guy in uh, little green shorts, little boots, and a wrist, not a wrist, but an arm gauntlet or something. Like something out of uh, Gladiator. Overall, it's a very nice design. I like this page. And then we move on to the next page. And, again, it's the first page is nothing really spectacular, I'd say, but it's nice. Again, much like the last story, we can tell what's going on without actually reading the dialogue. We see this uh, a woman sitting on a bench. You see she's a bank teller. There's bank bars in the background and a stack of money next to her. Uh, the guy from the title page appears, zaps the money, which disappears, then he pops away. And then you assume it's the owner of the bank talking to another teller, and the lady's all distressed. And uh, the bank manager or owner or whatever he is is talking to the girl. And you can see, without reading the dog, you're not quite sure what happened. But just looking at the picture, you can see that she's distressed. Not quite sure why. When we read the dialogue, we see that she's actually being uh, accused of being an accomplice. Still the money. 
Uh, again, we can't quite get that from the page, but you can tell there's something going on. So, again, you do. that's why we have the dialogue to go along with the artwork to help explain some things. But for the most part, again, this first page here, just starting out, much like the last story, some fantastic artwork uh, by Mr. Kane and Mr. Anderson. Uh, you can tell what's going on in the story for the most part just by looking at the pictures. And again, we'll go to the next page in the same way we see Gene and Ray on a date. Uh, this one here, again, you need the dialogue a little bit more because you don't know what's going on. You see him talking, holding hands. He leans in close for a kiss, it looks like, or to snuggle. And again, the dialogue, we find out a little bit more that she's telling Ray, as I mentioned in the uh, synopsis, that her friend Alma always tells the truth. And that, you know, she says there's a genie. Well, there must be a genie, a genie there. And then, again, Ray goes back to his lab, and he's holding – it looks – again, without the dialogue, you're not quite – I don't know, but you can tell. It looks like he's holding something up in the air, like he's trying something, a visible jacket or something on. And again, if we read the uh, story, the actual words, it says that he made himself a, a costume using the, the white dwarf meteorite. And so he stretches out, it becomes invisible, and when it shrinks, it becomes a visible costume. Uh, so we get in the last panel on this page three. We see him, the atom symbol around him, the what I call looks like planets or whatever, appearing around him. And then we see Ray shrinking down into his atom costume appearing. Oh, I love the atom. This is a great costume. Great page here. Let's see, we see the outline of Ray Palmer, kind of translucent, and then we see the atom shrinking down. At this point, he's chest high or waist high, going smaller. And at this point, he experiments a little. He jumps on a scale, and he finds out. And again, with the dialogue, we need because all we see is he jumps on a scale and it says he weighs 15 pounds. Uh, so we find out from the dialogue that. Uh, he found out that he's able to use the size control belt he made to control his weight also, along with his size. Then the genie, I say in air quotes, appears in the lab as Ray's staying on the scale. They leap each other. They fight. He throws into some books. And we see him talking, and we see the, the genie guy. Again, we can't quite tell what's going on here. But no, no problem with the art. It's great art as it has been. Uh, we see him. The picture shows he looks like he's floating through space. A look of surprise on his face. Uh, red energy surrounding him. Looking at the the writing, it tells that he was teleported. He was teleporting from one of their colony worlds to Junlar when his body unexpectedly passed through a cosmic ionization field. And he was able to crash, crash land on Earth when someone found him. And basically, we in the dialogue, we hear that it's a small-time criminal. Again, from the picture, we see the, the guy leaning over the little guy, the human, leaning over the alien, holding something in his hand. And the human saying, so you need something that has 65 revolving electrons to travel around, eh? I'll have to look that up. And you use this Dominator gadget to control creatures on your colony worlds? 
So basically, he uses the the uh, alien's own technology on him to make him to control him. And we see him again. The picture. It's a lot of dialogue here. So I mean, the pictures. Fantastic artwork. I love it. I'm not going to diss anything. You can't really tell what's going on just through the pictures. You do need the dialogue at this point. Uh, the giant tell or the alien tells Ray that he needs the forium to get to his own world. That's the, the chemical he was looking for. And Ray says he'll help you help him get it after he testifies in court to save his girlfriend's client. And again, as we go reading through here, as usual, it's great artwork. I've already talked about what the story details to us. We see right at the police station, look through a mug book, and he sees the the criminal, Carl Ballard, that, it, uh, that had enslaved the alien. And here we see Ray shrieking back down. He jumps up on a table. And he does the, f the first time he does this, uh, he picks up the phone, takes off the hook, and starts dialing a number. And he, uh, he after he dials the number, he sets up Metatron, making a rhythmic sounds. And that way the telephone's picking up a transmission. And he rides that transmission wave because he shrieks so small. And he pops out the other side of the phone. This is the first time he does this. And this is his usual mode of travel once he gets going. So I thought this was really cool seeing him for the first time traveling through the phone lines. Is this scientifically possible if you could shrink down small enough? Uh, probably not. But I really like it. It's consistent for the most part. And in fact, later on, I'll be covering this over my head speaks podcast here soon uh, him traveling through phone lines will play an important part of the story and some of the comics from the late 80s early 90s uh, again I'm going to cover some of those comics later on in overhead speak so be sure to check that out if you like the Adam and uh, speaking of traveling through the phone line there is a little editor's note here or writer's note it says how is it possible for the Adam to travel through a telephone wire you wonder Rather than interrupt our story at this point, you'll find the full explanation in the Inside the Atom Department, elsewhere in this issue. So it's a little dialogue text piece, which I'm not going to get into right now, because again, this is for the artwork, celebrating the life of uh, Murphy Anderson. Uh, so back to the, the story, the wonderful artwork here. We see the crook zapping the alien once again with the device, making him attack the atom. The two men fight. And then we see from the, the cover, the Adam, after he knocks the, the genie guy out, the alien, we see him painting him in a bottle. It's not quite the bottle or the scene from the earlier, because here the guy's unconscious, but the Adam's painting him in the bottle, and then he's chucking it out into the lake. And something else on this next page that Adam's always doing nowadays He's leaping up and he's using his his powers to increase his strength to that of a normal man in the form of this little miniature man punching the bad guy in the jaw and knocking him out. And Oh, I'm sorry, here it is from the, the cover. Uh, we see him on the bottle. He's petting the cork in. The only difference here is that the bottle is actually in the water. 
But Adam's on. He's pounding the cork in tighter, saying that he's trying to keep the cork in the bottle to keep the, the gene, he calls him, in the bottle until he can free him from Ballard's control. And so as we go along, the genie gets himself out, and as he goes down, he finds Ray, who's already found Ballard's device, so he uses that to free his little alien friend. And then we're back in court, and we're assuming this is the pro Again, I'm doing a lot of this without reading the dialogue, just to prove I can, because again, it's fantastic artwork by Mr. Kane and Mr. Anderson. Um... We assume it's the district attorney grilling somebody when all of a sudden the genie appears in his hand. And we see the little genie man sitting on the chair testifying. And that's where our story ends. Again, another fantastic story. Uh, again, for the most part, you could read the story without any dialogue. Uh, the dialogue just adds to the wonderfulness of the story. Wonderfulness? Is that a word? It is now. But I'm going to end this right there, as far as this issue goes. Another fantastic issue, story, again, the art, or the inks is by Murphy Anderson. Great times. As I said, this commercial, this episode is going to be commercial free for the most part. So let's go ahead and move on to suicide notes. I have one email this time. As usual, once again, it's my anonymous uh, emailer. And it reads, Hi Aaron, it's your anonymous commentator again. I enjoyed your podcast. Glad it was clearer this time. A couple of suggestions. I know you want to pimp your friends, but you have nearly 10 minutes of plugs in a 49-minute podcast. The first five minutes alone is your intro, and several plugs before you get to the actual podcast content. Limit your plugs to no more than two or three spread over the podcast. I would say pet them at the end. But if you do that, then more than likely, a few people will listen to them. For me personally, I have mixed feelings over them. I like to find out who, what else is out there, but on the other hand, they start feeling like annoying commercials. So try to limit to one per break and limit to two or three breaks during the show. The other thing is you're struggling to pronounce unfamiliar words. You're not alone in this area. Shag regularly butchers the English language. I'm going to interject real quick. Boy, does he. But <laughs> so do I, as you can hear. Uh, back to my friend's letter here. <clears throat> but for the most part, he doesn't linger on a word. He just goes on with whatever he thinks it sounds like. One way to deal with this problem is to simply go through a book and give it a quick scan of words, names you aren't sure of, and either A, look them up online to how to pronounce them, or B, just go with however you think it should sound. Option A is, of course, preferred, but it's time-consuming. Option B is still a bit annoying for listeners who can pronounce words that a podcaster butchers, but it's preferable to listening to the person struggling to pronounce the words and mispronouncing them anyway. Either option enables you to decide before the podcast exactly how you pronounce those troublesome words and let your monologue and train of thought to continue to flow smoothly. Keep it the good work, Joe. Well, I finally got a name, Joe. Thank you very much for your comments, Joe. I appreciate it. I am working harder on this to make this a better podcast. Um, and I agree with uh, everything you've said. Um, I have thought several times. You know, I, I Sometimes I do put too many commercials in there. Or, it's hard for me to limit myself sometimes, so much I work harder on that. Uh, this episode, mainly because it's a, uh, a special episode for uh, Murphy Anderson. I'm going to put the, just a couple commercials at the end. And then next month when I come back with it, I will have just probably fewer commercials interspaced throughout the show as usual. Um, as far as pronouncing words, I've been speaking English for 45 years. It came out quite that long. Uh, 
pretty close though. Uh, probably 43 or so. I don't know when I started speaking. 44 years, somewhere on there. Anyways, I'm babbling. Uh, but yeah, some words I have a problem with, and sometimes I, I know the word in my head. I just have a problem getting it out of my mouth. Uh, I will work better on that. Work better on that. That's not the right phrase. I'll work harder on that. Uh, do a better job of pronouncing the words. Again, thank you very much for listening, Joe, and I really appreciate you writing in. Any feedback I can get is helpful. Um, again, I'm hoping you're still enjoying the show. Please continue to write in. And anyone else out there that wants to write in, either, you know, good comments, bad comments. It doesn't have to be all positive and flowers and, you know, all that good stuff. As Joe here, you know, he's, several of his comments have been uh, helpful feedback, which is always a good thing. You either go to the website, like Joe did, which is taskforcex.headspeaks.com, and leave a comment there. You can go to Facebook or Google+, Plus, looking for Task Force X, and leave a comment there. Or shoot me an email to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. Again, that's taskforcex.headspeaks.com. There should be links on the Facebook page, uh, the Gmail, or the uh, Google Plus page, and on the blog post. So feel free to write in and let me know what you guys think. I enjoy hearing from everybody. And as far as Facebook likes and comments, a little fewer this time. Uh, we've got comments and likes, mostly likes from Firestorm Fan and from a buddy of mine, M. Anthony Gerardo, over at the Unite DC Comics Facebook group. Now that's taken care of a few more final comments here. Uh, first of all, uh, to finish up with the Murphy Anderson. As I said, Mr. Anderson passed away in October and... A few of us podcasters have gotten together and decided to have a special uh, Murphy Anderson tribute. Uh, the ones that I'm aware of currently that are doing a, a podcast or something for Murphy Anderson, uh, there's Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast, episode 19. Uh, that's by, by my buddy Ryan Daly with his guest host of Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. He's going to cover the Black and sorry, he's going to cover the Brave and the Bold issue 61 and 62, which is a Starman Black Canary team up. Then there's Professor Allen's comic book reading journal, number five, hosted by Professor Allen. He covers the comics that Allen read during the month of October. He's going to talk about Murphy Anderson's comics, uh, Superman 254, Legion 245, and 246 at the end of the episode. There's Head Speaks, episode 17, which came out about two weeks ago now, which is my podcast, of course. I talked about showcase number 60, which was the Spectre drawn by... Murphy Anderson. Also talked about Mr. Murphy Anderson's life and work history, which I pulled from Wikipedia. I mentioned his website. Uh, then there's this episode of Task Force X, where I covered Showcase 34. Then there's Comic Book Time Machine number 77, which is hosted by Ben Avery and Daniel Butcher and Matt Anderson. Uh, but they're not taking part in this issue. This episode is just Ben Avery, it looks like. He's going to cover the Atomic Knight stories from various Strange Adventure issues from 120 to 160. And then there's the Who's Who special, Murphy Anderson, hosted by a friend of the show, the Irredeemable Shag, and his good buddy, Rob Kelly. And this is basically a greatest hits collection of the Who's Who's podcast entries, which were all drawn by Murphy Anderson. Uh, this list and links to this will be on my website at taskforcex.headspeaks.com. Uh, go ahead and check it out. 
And uh, check out my friend's podcasts. Again, they all celebrating the life and times of Murphy Anderson. So definitely check that out. And that's going to wrap up this episode, except for one more comment. Um, beginning in November, uh, a man passed away. Another, another gentleman passed away. I never actually met the guy. never get a chance to really talk to him. But he did like and comment on this show and uh, I believe it was my G.I. Joe podcast he commented on also and left some likes uh, David Spoko all I knew him from Facebook and like I said likes from the Facebook pages I guess he also was starting a uh, Blue Devil podcast with another gentleman Shout at the Devil I believe it's called uh, apparently David had some sort of uh, illness he went in the hospital and Basically, he never recovered from it, and he passed away. So I wish to send my best thoughts and wishes out to his his widow and kids. And uh, again, as though, even though I never got to meet the man himself, from what I could tell, he was a kind, loving father, husband, a great person. Uh, David, you will be missed, sir. So uh, that's enough for this sad-filled episode. Um, we'll be back next month. We'll actually have a special guest host. We'll cover Action Comics 598, the first appearance of Checkmate. Plus, we will talk about Suicide Squad number 8. Join us next month. Hopefully, I'll get this one out on time. Again, I apologize for the delays in this episode. But here it is, finally. So, have yourselves a good day, guys. And we'll see you next month. Until then, squad mates, dismissed. to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just out crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, and also on Google+, you can look for taskforcex under people and pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... 
Well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. soon the secret origins podcast a review show dedicated to the post-crisis secret origin series published by dc comics join me ryan daly and an all-star assembly of guests to reveal the untold origin stories of dc comics most legendary characters as well as kong gorilla starting in june the secret origins podcast Hey there, True Believers. My name is Aaron Moss. Tell my friends, they call me Head. Do you love Firestorm, The Atom, G.I. Joe, or other comic books? How about Star Wars, superhero movies, role-playing games, or books? Well, you know what? I love them all. Come join me monthly. (laughs) Well, okay, mostly monthly. As I talk about the things I like, and occasionally some of the things I don't. Where, you may ask? Why, I can be located at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. I can also be found on iTunes under Headspeaks or at Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com and at my website, head.headspeaks.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Google+, both under Headspeaks. Come, take a listen. Headspeaks is a proud member of the Headcast family. Also, not all episodes are family-friendly. This podcast is not endorsed or affiliated with Kylie Mignot. Though, that would be cool, huh? Anyways, I'll let Kylie take us out. Get the notion.